0: listening to The Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense. Discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. So, this will be kind of our last episode until the new year. For us in the States, that's Christmas time. So for those of you who celebrate Happy Christmas, Merry Holidays, all of you above, for those of you abroad, then just enjoy this strange seasonal episode then.
1: Whatever you do, I'm sure you're at least passingly familiar with Christmas because of the cultural hegemony of, you know,
0: European
1: Christianity. And yeah, America. So if you're already sick of Christmas, I'm sorry. But if it helps, we're probably going to be making fun of it a bit.
0: Oh, we 100% are. And I promise you, it will definitely be worth it. But yeah, so fair warning, this will be a Christmassy episode. So this week, we are covering a wonderful little gem that I found. We are going to go over some medieval sermons, specifically some Christmas sermons.
1: Don't turn it off. It's better than it sounds. (laughs)
0: I promise you it is. I know we're not we're gonna send everybody to sleep. But uh unlike your normal Christmas candlelight service, we're going to be going back in time and for those of you who listened to our Leoprand episode, was it no, not Leoprand. Brand. Who was it? Our brimstone and fire guy.
1: Oh, um, Alfred.
0: Alfred, yes. Angry, angry religious individuals, you know, Alfred, Cleoprand, etc. Anyway, for those of you who remember Alfred, he was very fire and brimstone. These are a little bit later. But before we jump into these sermons, which their leaps of logic are quite astounding in some cases, I wanted to provide a little bit of background on the history of how these sermons are being preached. Because the Christianity that we have today is very different than medieval Christianity in its various forms. And there's a bunch of different, you know, interpretations, forms, whatever of Christianity that we have today. So I will probably offend some Catholics as we get into this. And I suppose I should apologize. But here we go. So the context of Christianity at this time. So At this point, we have Eastern Orthodoxy, which is sort of the Byzantines, etc. When you think of like Russian Orthodox churches, that's that form of Christianity. And then there's Western Catholicism. Now, remember that this at this point in time, the Middle Ages comes before the Renaissance, before the early modern period, before the Reformation. So the church has not split yet. There is not a Protestant split. There is not an Anglican split. There's not a Catholic church. There's just the church.
1: Which is, of course... Still called the Catholic Church, but that's because Catholic originally just meant universal, so it was... It's the everyone's church.
0: It's Yeah, precisely. It's everybody's church. So, you know, it was unified in that all of these churches were nominally under the Pope in Rome and any sort of differing opinion was either outliers or heresy. So
1: maybe it's the everybody's church or else.
0: <laughs> to a point. But then, you know, then you start getting into like, oh, well, what were the Irish monastics thinking compared to, you know, the Benedictine monastics in France thinking versus what was the Pope? Thinking and so on and so forth, and so everybody has different ideas about what to preach and how to preach and how the word of God should be portrayed.
1: Some of which are hilariously minor points that result in a alarmingly large amount of violence,
0: like ridiculous amounts of it. like. This is how the Reformation came about, like well, Martin Luther's little pamphlet against the murderous, raging hordes of peasants, something like that. You're like, you really shouldn't have to write a pamphlet to disavow this, but okay. So, you know, we'll get there eventually.
1: I seem to recall there was also a big fuss about the hairstyles of Irish monks.
0: Was there? This one I don't recall.
1: Yeah, apparently the Irish church at one point had a different style of tonsure, and there was a big fuss about whether or not it was appropriate.
0: Oh, dear. Well, they they did have a very big argument over how to measure time, whether we're going to use the AD system versus the AM system, which is Anus Mundi, the beginning of the world versus Mm -hmm. uh, with Christ's birth, so on and so forth. How do we measure time? Well, one way is heresy and one way is not and so on and so forth.
1: It's probably for the best we didn't end up with anno Mundi because then we'd have to start saying stuff like... A thousand years before the beginning of the world when we're talking about like Egypt and stuff
0: I feel like there's probably some fantasy novels that do that which I disagree with but okay <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a that's an interesting uh, hill to hill to stand on
0: you know it really is but then again. It's sort of it sort of goes back to the idea that you look at the fact that there's like five different rivers in England called the River Avon which just means the river river mm-hmm. and then everyone in fantasy novels has to come up with these fancy names and there can only be one guy named George. It's like no 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 like <laughs> relax. It's okay to duplicate these things. People are people. People will always be people.
1: Yeah. And of of course, stuff like the River Avon happens because, you know, a Roman will ask a Celt, like, what's that? And they'll say, it's a river. And they'll just write it down. Like, oh, yes, river. And that's Avon.
0: Obviously. Anyway, now Protestant and Catholic services are very, very different. I've gone to several of both. And the Catholic services are much more formal uh, and conventional And it's sort of what you would immediately think of when you think, oh, yes, church in the Middle Ages was like this versus a more the more modern American Protestant form of church, which is very relaxed you know you've got the music and the drum set if it's a mega church it's basically a concert and it's very uncomfortable
1: yeah that sounds terrible
0: I find them to be extraordinarily uncomfortable they proselytize a lot and I I just don't think that you can get a very detailed specific and and convicting sermon when you're preaching to 50,000 people because you know you're trying to make it as universal as possible and uh, it's just you lose a lot of specificity. But I was always academic in this way, so maybe I I am the uh, 1% in that that case. I made a couple of youth pastors very angry at me. But anyway, so there's a bunch of different styles of preaching, so on and so forth. So when you think medieval sermon, you start to think about fire and brimstone. You think of Alfred, you think of more traditional Catholic services – That was not entirely the case all the time. There were a lot of different styles and formulas that a a sermon could have on any given day, depending on your priest, whether it was like a local guy or someone visiting, whether there was a holiday, the presentation, heck, whether they were preaching in Middle English or Latin, for instance, in England, which is where we're going to be focusing today. So priests would also pull from the Bible, traditional doctrine, or even like biblical encyclopedias to create sermons. So... Just like nowadays, usually most pastors and priests, as far as I know, go to seminary to learn how to preach the word of God medieval pastors would also do the same thing. And I'm sure you got the wandering preacher who, you know, just decided to get up and go and be a missionary. And it's like, yeah, all right, dude, you know, you get the same sort of thing. But what I'd like to emphasize here is that people were taught how to do this, and there were different formulas and styles. So the book that I'm pulling from today is called Preaching in the Age of Chaucer, Selected Sermons in Translation, translated by Siegfried Fenzel and basically this is just a collection of different sermons from the 13th 14th century so i've picked out a couple that i think are very interesting uh, but i did want to read a little about how sermons were formed at this time in the middle ages specifically in england in this case Quote, during the long period of medieval preaching and sermon making from the patristic age to the renaissance, two major types of sermons were created and employed, the ancient homily and beginning around the year 1200, the modern university or thematic scholastic sermon. The homily concentrates on an extended biblical text and explains it verse by verse, if not word by word. Such literal exegesis may be then added as an explanation of the text's allegorical and moral meaning. So we've seen this a lot, particularly just in our last episode with Pearl of Spouse, where everything's a metaphor. Yeah, so... You may recognize a little bit of that today. So that's what's going on. That's where we get this tradition from. This is the homily style. In contrast, the Selastic sermon is based on a single verse or phrase or even a word, usually taken from scripture, and then develops it from a larger verbal and notional structure by means of divisions and subdivisions and other means of amplification that often result in a highly sophisticated, even artificial verbal construct. And then he lists a couple sermons that do that. The surviving sermons from this period show that English preachers were familiar with both types and on occasion verbally distinguish between homilies and sermons. And you'll hear the word thema a lot, uh, which is just theme, the theme of the sermon today. And so I found it was interesting that we combined the two and you'd see preachers practicing both because a lot of Modern sermon styles are sort of split. In the Protestant camp, we have a lot of the more scholastic sermon types that we see. and then in the Catholic camp, we sort of see more homily based styles. So I think that's interesting. We can go through and kind of identify those. Mac, are you familiar with like sermons, at least at least a lot of Protestant sermons beginning with really, really bad analogies and examples?
1: I am familiar with them by reputation. I haven't gone to church regularly since I was a very small child, and my only exposure to church in the past 20 years has been very occasionally attending an Anglican church that some of my extended family go to. But I have heard of the idea of like, you know who was a real meme lord? Jesus. And oh then trying gosh. to make yeah, that that's, fit.
0: Mm-hmm. I've, I think the worst one that I ever heard was explaining the Trinity as a fidget spinner. Oh, dear. Yeah, where, you know, you got the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as like the three parts of the fidget spinner, but they're all united in the middle and it's all one thing.
1: <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that does work. It's just kind of dumb.
0: I think St. Patrick did it better <laughs> with the clover.
1: Yeah, that's that's a better one.
0: Yeah. Wait, but uh, they, but but I, what
1: about four-leaf clovers?
0: Oh, those are pagan. We don't talk about those. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, so you get a lot of sermons that are known for that stuff and... Uh, that tradition has continued a long time, let me just tell you, because so we're going to see a little bit of that today. Oh, so
1: that really was what you were thinking of.
0: Yes, 100%, absolutely. All right. All right. So I've got three sermons. So let's see. The Advent Sermon is on page 74. Here we go. All right. And each one of these sermons contains a brief introduction that I will read because it it helps you understand what's going on. So the Christian church year begins with the first Sunday of Advent. In the medieval church, Advent was a penitential season like Lent, hence this preacher's insistence on penance, which this is my note. It's not as heavy as some of the penance sermons that I've actually heard, which impressed me.
1: I seem to recall that you do penance during Advent by eating these waxy chocolates that you find inside cardboard boxes
0: (laughs) those ones I don't like those waxy ones they're gross Anyway, notes at the top margins of the manuscript suggest that these sermons were preached at a variety of small churches in the English Midlands. In its structure, the sermon combines some features of the scholastic sermon with the older homily form of a step-by-step moral commentary on the entire lection. The gospel for this Sunday narrates Jesus entering Jerusalem, the same as for Palm Sunday, and evidently the liturgy on the first of Advent was also accompanied by a procession, which you will often see at more Easter Sundays. I remember growing up we would get palm fans as kids and go down the aisle with the palm fans on Palm Sunday. So a literal procession, yeah. Yes, a literal procession in the church. So apparently they did something similar on the first of Advent. So after stating the sermon's leading idea, the way to Jerusalem for us is to abandon sin and go on our way to God and asking for the congregation to pray for him, the preacher refers to the gospel and its main features. Or you could
1: just head southeast for like a while and you'll hit it Eventually.
0: Eventually which he briefly moralizes in what amounts to the introduction of the thema. Then in the sermon's main part, he states his thema, an Old Testament prophetic prediction of Christ coming to Jerusalem, treats it homiletically without division by going through the text phrase by phrase and moralizing it. The style of the sermon is distinct and unusually elusive. All right. Wait,
1: hold on. Is that elusive with an A or an E?
0: An A. Okay. Yes. Important distinction. (laughs) All right. So the beginning of this is a reading from the word. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout for joy, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king will come to you, the just one and savior. He is poor, riding upon an ass, upon the foal of an ass. Zechariah 9, 9. All right. And wait, into- Wait, wait. Yes.
1: He's riding upon an ass, upon the foal of an ass. Is he riding two different animals or did they feel the need to specify that the ass is also born of ass?
0: I think it's the need to specify it because Christ's lineage comes from a king like long ago, but has sort of been diluted. So I think that's what they're emphasizing.
1: Okay, I just thought that was a weird turn of phrase. It struck me very oddly. Like
0: oh, one hundred percent. All right. Here we go, let's dive into this sermon. An earthly king's wish can be known in various cities by means of his letters, so also Christ's through his word. Now it is God's wish that we walk in the ways that lead to heavenly Jerusalem. Wherefore, David says, I will keep meditating on your commandments and will consider your ways, as if he were saying, I will not listen to God's word only once, but keep meditating on it. So first off, yes, this makes sense.
1: Sorry, I was thinking about Smith. <laughs>
0: Further, when a woman wants to see if she has any blemishes, she looks into her mirror, and as a dove sits near water, so that when he sees the shadow of birds of prey, it can escape. The same do the faithful, once it is said in canticles, his eyes as doves upon brooks of waters. Let us then pray that I may read the Lord's letters so clearly that we may understand and walk in the way of eternal salvation. Walk this way. This way that we see our sins in the mirror of scripture and wipe them away when we perceive the shadows of demons in our sins we may flee to Christ lest we go down to the shadows of hell.
1: Do doves really do that?
0: I don't know, but it makes sense to me. Yeah. I know that birds like birds will look for shadows and if they see like a shadow come towards them they fly off.
1: Yeah, but I don't know do if they, it's a
0: water thing. Yeah.
1: The shadow thing seems like it would work fine. Mhm.
0: So, I don't know. But anyway, basically this part is him saying Lord, please let me preach well today. Blah 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 blah.
1: It's kind of like a uh Homeric exhortation of the muses.
0: You know, it is. How have I never considered that before? Because it's very common for preachers still to do that. Is it I really? Like that. That's a cool- oh yeah. Yeah, wow. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I've had I've had preachers like come up and the congregation will pray that they preach accurately the word of God and that whatever I don't know, they use some interesting language, like, whatever is not fruitful, like, fall from their ears, blah, 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 you know?
1: Man, I'd be really uncomfortable as either the preacher or the congregation in that scenario. Because, like, if the preacher is praying that they do well, I'd go like, oh, this preacher has no confidence. He's (laughs) up here going like, God, don't let me screw this up. If the congregation is doing it, I would feel like the preacher would go like, they have no trust in me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic for sure.
1: Please let, let this man that we are all here to listen to not accidentally be a heretic. Guide him, Lord, because we know he can't do it himself.
0: <laughs> you know, the way that some sermons are preached, I understand the need for this sort of prayer at the beginning. Yeah, so. That
1: does explain the bad analogies. They must have not done it properly.
0: You know, for real. All right. Anyway, now we get into the actual verse. So remember, this is the Rejoice Greatly, Daughter of Zion. So he's literally going to go through it word by word, but I promise you this is a fairly short (laughs) (laughs) sermon-ish. It's only a couple of pages. A short-ish sermon
1: or a short (laughs) sermon-ish? It's
0: a short-ish sermon. Anyway, rejoice! On this day, Christ taught us how to walk in the way to our heavenly fatherland, which is signified by Jerusalem. From coming from Bethany, he went by Bethphage, which is where he gets the ass from. With the people spread their clothes on branches in the road, he entered Jerusalem. And then the preacher is saying, if we engage in confession, contrition, and satisfaction in our last possession, when Christ will lead his spouse in marriage, that is the church, that we shall enter the heavenly Jerusalem. This is really fascinating to me because these sermons are so doused in biblical language that unless you have grown up in that culture, it can be very difficult to understand. So when you hear, when Christ will lead his spouse in marriage, if you read it literally, you're like, Jesus had a wife?
1: Yeah, it was Mary Magdalene. (laughs) Oh my
0: gosh, that one's an interesting one. But anyway, historically and biblically, generally, Christ's wife is the church rather than Mary Magdalene. I'll skip some of these because it's less interesting. But oh I did I did like this man's soul has left God's court without license shamefully through disobedience for Bethany means house of disobedience now a physician says if you want to be well you must be obedient and take your medication and follow your regimen God similarly says do penance when he says penance he refers to our medication and when he says do he refers to our diet because the soul's foods are good works done after giving obedience and having contrition
1: Bethany means house of figs
0: yes this is also correct okay he does get zion correct as a watchtower or watchfulness but yeah bethany is incorrect but i loved this one because we do get this weird analogy of like if you want to get better eat your medicine and then we get this weird thing of if you want to enter into heaven do penance and then he specifically explains what do and penance are in this analogy so, essentially, he goes through each and every word, so rejoice, and then greatly, and talking about how presumptuous people rejoice too much, which apparently is not, not that great, but that we should- re- Yeah,
1: stop having fun, guys. <laughs>
0: you know? But that we must rejoice greatly when we rejoice in the Lord.
1: Well, that does kind of track with uh, historical church behaviors, like, all these fun festivals are not allowed anymore, mm-hmm. but- you should receive all of your joy from going to mass instead.
0: Okay, but if it's if it's a Perla spouse mass, then yes, that's completely then understandable. Then get
1: to trip. I would I would probably still be going to church if they burned hallucinogens while we were in there.
0: Yes, that would have been wild. All right, I just like this sentence when he when he finally gets to like the end of the verse. It says the ass indicates the soul.
1: That is an excellent proverb to deploy out of context.
0: <laughs> Isn't it great? This, the disciples loosed, indicating priests leading it to Christ. Let the soul hasten when it is tied up in sins before the devil drives it to its reward.
1: Oh, tell us more about the disciples' loose asses.
0: <laughs> well, see, but in this case, you are the ass.
1: Damn it. I've been hoisted by my own baton. See,
0: but it, but it begs the question of like, okay, so is Christ riding your ass? Like, how, how does this work?
1: I feel like I did not consent to Christ <laughs> riding my ass.
0: Or is Christ writing your soul if your soul is the ass in this analogy?
1: Yeah.
0: Either way, there's some weird stuff going on. I thought I left that behind with the Phaedrus, but anyway.
1: Isn't that one of the Socrates things? Yes, it
0: is. Okay. Winged phalluses and spiritual epiphanies. Oh, yeah. It's a very strange little book.
1: I see a lot of pictures of those winged phalluses on Twitter.
0: That is unsurprising. All right. Essentially, he goes through the entire thing. And, like, he goes through gluttony, greed, all of the seven deadly sins, lecherousness, and the lecher does not enter into heaven because he cannot walk at all when he suffers from kidney flux. Just (laughs) no entry, just...
1: (laughs) I would love to know the connection between lechery and kidney flux.
0: Let's see, there's a footnote. Aha! Gutas Renum which could also mean kidney stones in medieval medicine as in biblical language the kidneys produce seminal fluid and hence are responsible for sexual lust in the male
1: okay there you go
0: boom all of these will descend into disorder with the devil to that place where there is no order but everlasting horror which i think is a great phrase but we through Mm -hmm. christ's grace let us with christ mount up to the order of the angels to enjoy eternal happiness in our heavenly home amen Interesting choice of phrase with mount. Just leaving that one there. Yep. Yep. So anyway, that was the, uh, the Advent one. So this would be an example of the more sermon style, more modern style. Mm -hmm. rather than a homily. All right, Christmas Eve. And this is apparently a sermon by Nicholas Philip. And here is the introduction. (laughs) Though the rubric and thema mark this as a Christmas sermon, the preacher's admonitions near to the end to prepare properly for a feast tomorrow. It seems to indicate that this sermon was given on Christmas Eve rather than Christmas. It occurs among the sermons collected and very probably written by Franciscan Nicholas Philip in the 1430s. The preacher uses the address form carissimi, which means beloved, consistently Mm -hmm. and often. This may, though it does not necessarily have to indicate a non clerical audience. That this is indeed the case here made, is made more likely by the popular elements of the preacher's style.
1: I mean, he's also a friar, right? You said Franciscan, yes. so he's probably off wandering. Yeah.
0: Linguistically, it is a genuinely macaronic sermon, which switches back and forth between English and Latin within the sentence structure, which I think would get extraordinarily confusing. One of its peculiarities is that in quoting authorities, including biblical verses, the text often gives them first in Latin and then in macaronic mixture, that is, Latin and English, which also slightly expands the source. A brief illustration can be found in note two below. Middle English sermon texts follow the same practice of first stating an authoritative quotation in Latin and then translating it with expansions, which I really enjoy because a lot of more traditional Catholic sermons, particularly in Italy even to this day, would be given in Latin. And so the clerical audience understands it, but everybody else is like, okay, I know what a paternoster is but i don't know what this guy's saying at all so the fact that this is given in you know the vulgar in the common tongue that people can actually understand is very very interesting as a note our translator only gives the translated form of the relevant quotations for ease all right and here we go in the nativity of our lord today is born to us a savior luke 2 11. beloved you know well that when a gold ring or some other precious object that is small drops into the dust and the dirt, it can be easily lost and is hard to find again? So did it truly go with the human race, for when it had sinned against God, the heavy burden and weight of sin made it drop from the height and honor it had in paradise into the dust and dirt of this world. In,
1: and God couldn't find in this it. Dirt, I thought he this omniscient. it was turned
0: away and hidden from the sight of God. Therefore, after man had sinned, and not before, God said, you are nothing but dust and earth, and you will return to dust and earth. Which I guess he did see it, but it, he just saw it covered in dirt. I don't know. Already this analogy isn't working.
1: All right, so now I'm picturing God as like dropping a ring, and instead of picking it up, just looks down on it and goes like, ew, you're all dirty now. That is
0: the analogy that we are getting. This is why I love on. this sermon. But beloved, you see, when a man wants to have his gold ring again or other precious jewel that he has lost in the dust, he puts his hand into the dust and seeks diligently until he has it again. Now, spiritually speaking, in scripture, by the hand of God is understood Jesus Christ, his own son, who on this day was born of his blessed mother Mary, which I need to state here that Christ was not born in December. It was a summer birth. Historically, we know this, but blah, 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 blah.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, moving it around to strategically hinder and replace pagan festivities. Um, We know the drill. It's not a coincidence that Christmas and the solstice are so close together.
0: You see, commonly a man does all his work with his own hand. In the same way, all the wonderful works that God Almighty has done, he has done through his son. All of them? That's what he's saying. I'm
1: not sure that's textually supported.
0: I know that in current exegesis, as far as I know, it is commonly understood that Christmas Christ was the one who created the universe. Really? Yes.
1: Then what does God do?
0: God is the father. God is the judge.
1: So God is like what? The lazy middle manager and Christ is the intern doing all the work?
0: What does that make the spirit?
1: The CEO. (laughs) Because like he might as well not exist and we're not really sure what to do about him. But he gets just as much credit as everyone else. (laughs) Or maybe the Holy Spirit is capitalism.
0: Oh my gosh. I'm not even going to touch that one. Oh no, I think the Holy Spirit is less destructive than capitalism, but uh, hmm.
1: I don't know, let's ask Torquemada about that one.
0: (laughs) Uh, John witnesses, that is, John witnesses that Christ is the one doing all the work, this in his gospel where he says, all things were made by him, and without him nothing is made. By the word nothing, we understand the meaning sin, for sin was never made by him.
1: I do not understand that meaning by the word nothing.
0: No, it's a, it's a very confusing jump of logic here. He's saying, without him, nothing is made. Or rather, it's saying, without Christ, sin was made. So that is to say, sin exists without Christ's influence. Which is a very strange way to get to that conclusion, but that's what he's trying to say. Yeah,
1: I'm also not sure that's doctrinally supported. Because if it exists, and God didn't create it, where'd
0: it come from? The biblical text does say, no sin comes from God or no evil comes from god and i believe the general exegetical understanding of that is that sin is action that comes from the absence of a connection with god that is one commonly understood opinion
1: here i am learning
0: (laughs) i get very very interested in these little things so all right So when it happened that man, who was such a precious creature and so dear to God, was lost, God in his desire to love and to find man again put his own hand, that is to say Christ with this analogy, into the dust, and that happened when he sent his dear son to take flesh and blood from the Blessed Virgin. And so it seems to me,
1: Wait, wait, wait. To take flesh and blood from the Virgin?
0: That's what it said, and I don't like, understand why. I think it just means like, oh, yes, he is conceived from the Virgin Mary. Because, okay. you know, tissues okay. and so on and so forth. But it's it a very strange... It definitely sounds like
1: like the Blessed Virgin is going to wake up in a bathtub full of ice.
0: You know, it really does. It's very spooky. Anyway. <laughs> Then, then we get to a really great, like, next jump. So he's finished with this one. He's like, David prophesied it. We're seeing it here. We're getting this analogy. You know, God came to Earth because to save us, we in this analogy are uh, God's precious ring. And then he makes a jump. Beloved, if it were possible that the sun, which is eight times larger than the whole world, and as some clerks say, much more.
1: (laughs) I mean, at least they knew that. (laughs)
0: I just like that, like, in parentheses, he's like, some people even think it's bigger. It's very, very interesting.
1: I'm remembering that image. I think it's from Tumblr of, like, this is how many Earths fit inside Jupiter. (laughs) And someone says, that's got to be at least eight.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. If it were possible that the sun, which is eight times larger than the whole world or even more, And a small speck of dust could be laid together. The speck would be a small thing and of little value with respect to the size of the sun. Without doubt, so it is between God and his creature. For there was never a speck so small in comparison with the sun as the worthiest creature that ever was, who was unworthy in comparison with the nobility and worthiness of God Almighty. So when it happened for man that lust and desire for the fruit of the tree withdrew himself from the Almighty God and chose to act again against his commandment, blah, blah, blah. He who was only a speck of dust in comparison to God made his own soul fall into the dust. So that is his point with this paragraph.
1: I'm not sure I followed that one.
0: I think he just saw, like, the dust analogy and was like, I'm gonna grab it. All right, all right. Basically, we are specks of nothing in comparison to God, and yet we still matter to him. Huzzah.
1: Wait, when was this sermon written again?
0: 1340. So, because
1: he sounds like he's talking heliocentricism.
0: Ooh. Well, Copernicus was much later. Copernicus was 1500s.
1: Yeah, over a hundred years later. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Born 1473.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, he didn't publish his uh, on the revolutions of the spheres until 1543, according to Wikipedia. So it's kind of interesting to see that people were apparently aware that the sun is significantly larger than the earth and therefore probably does not orbit the earth.
0: I don't know if they made that jump, but at least they knew it was was bigger. Yeah. I mean Jupiter yeah. is bigger and still orbits, but it doesn't orbit the earth, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah.
1: I don't know. It's 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 interesting to see them going the sun is bigger than the earth significantly before that became mainstream, before we think it became mainstream.
0: Right, right, precisely. All right. Next paragraph. Beloved, you see that if a man is to rise, he first has to be below. But when we ask God to rise, we pray to him to come down. This prayer, beloved, God has heard, and he has come down and has risen up again because he first rose from his mother's womb into this world, and then he rose from this world onto the cross, and from this cross, he rose and ascended to heaven. I think he's skipping the whole go down into hell first and then come up, but you know, we're we're getting a lot of transcendentalism here.
1: I mean, that's apocryphal anyway, <laughs> in the sense that it's from the apocrypha. Like, it's that's Book of Nicodemus, I think. That didn't make it in, into the standard. No, it didn't. They were big fans of it in, um, in the Old English, though. Because they liked the idea of having a god that, like, went and fought demons instead of just regular dying.
0: It's pretty dope as an idea. Yeah. Anyway, for the greatest and most wonderful deed that pertains to salvation is not only to save those who are almost lost or dead, but to save those who are already lost and completely dead. Therefore, to prove that he is indeed our savior, he would do this wonderful deed. Is this the harrowing of hell? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, And then he gets into the whole Christmas thing of like, and he was born on earth this day. So he came down to us. Huzzah. And now, here we go. This is when it gets kind of interesting. As to the development of our sermon, Beloved, you must understand that Christ, the Son of God from heaven, overcame three conditions in his birth that every earthly man and woman is afflicted with when he or she is born. I like that we're getting, you know, gender-ish neutral language. Yeah. Pretty cool. As you know, when a person is born into this world, he's born in filth and bodily c- uncleanness. Wow, uncleanness.
1: I mean, they're not wrong. Have you seen a, a, a newborn baby? They're gross. It's it's pretty gross.
0: Also, I just feel like we, we should also make a note to remove that stigma about birth. Like birth can be beautiful and kind of weird and gross at the same time. And however you feel about it is okay. The
1: two are not, what's the word? Mutually Diametric. exclusive. Yeah, yeah. Or diametrically opposed. Mm-hmm. Like it is it is simultaneously a beautiful process. And it also involves a lot of fluids that maybe you don't want on you. Like,
0: yeah, that you definitely generally don't want on you anyway so when a person is born they are born in filth he is further born in the sin of pride which is spiritual misery he is born to woe and disease and sorrow and great sadness but beloved since since christ wanted to be more wonderful in his birth than any other person on earth which I don't Sounds think like that sin was. Of pride. I was gonna say I don't think that was his motivation, but alrighty <laughs> it was fitting that in order to turn foul into fair, he was born in cleanness; in order to turn high into low, he was born in meekness; and in order to turn sorrow into joy, he was born in gladness. Now, this little section is not the Latin; it's like a Middle English verse that he's speaking out loud. And so, in these three ways, to us forlorn, a savior has been born. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so does this mean that like jesus was born not covered in fluids
0: oh are you are you not aware of the idea that mary did not have any pain with her birth this is a commonly held catholic belief is it, it i is. didn't know that it is it is one that i don't hold which is why i put the caveat that i would offend a whole bunch of catholics with this sermon huh. but yes
1: i mean you'd think that he'd still have stuff on him i mean he's coming out of a person people are filled with fluids
0: Yes, I agree with you. And also the medieval perception of Mary is that she had a very painless, wonderful childbirth. And it was more like an ecstasy than anything else.
1: Maybe Mary was a robot.
0: That's an unnerving idea.
1: Like she, she was like a, a very realistic android with like an incubator inside. Because so you just opened the door. Robot Mary. no fluids.
0: Ew. <laughs> That's creepy. Okay, now this part gets interesting. First, then I say that Christ, the son of God, was born into cleanness. It says cleanness and not cleanliness. I think that's a translation change that I would make, but whatever. Beloved, as a great scholar says, it is Eusebius in the deeds of the Romans. In ancient times, there was a custom in Rome that the emperor would never go into battle with his enemies until he had first gone and worshipped an image that had been made in a certain temple in Rome. This image was called the image of cleanness. And when he had worshipped this image, he would then go and gain victory over his enemies. Now, spiritually speaking, and he he turns this analogy of apparently a historical thing in the deeds of the Romans into, like, Jesus being born into cleanness and therefore, you know, casting out all sin. But I knew this would spark your wheels turning.
1: Yeah, I was, I was uh, actually Googling him, like, as you said that.
0: Yes, there is a footnote that says the preacher seems to be referring to the father of church history, Eusebius, which was circa 260 to 340, but our translator has been unable to find the cited passage.
1: Yeah, I'm not even finding a a text called The Deeds of the Romans.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: But I am just looking at Wikipedia, so who
0: knows? Fair enough. Yes, and so then he gets into the Blessed Virgin herself. And he notes that he, meaning God, preserved her so pure that nature was in awe that she or any woman should be able to bury child without the blemish of sin or injury to her body. So it is clear that she is not only pure, but also her blessed son was fair and pure, from whose grace and gift she gained all purity.
1: I'm putting this as another take in the robot column.
0: (laughs) You might as well. Uh,
1: We're going to start up our own heresy, guys. It's going to (laughs) happen.
0: I think you've already done it at this point.
1: <laughs> at any moment, I'm going to be struck by lightning, despite the fact that it is not raining and I'm indoors.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if we lose connection, I'll know why. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then he goes into purity of body and purity of the mind, so on and so forth. I'm going to skip that section because it's very less interesting. You do get this interesting phrase. Let's see. Oh, yes, here we go. A great scholar, and it is Al-Bumasar in his greater introduction speaks of a sign and figure for the great purity of this child and his mother. He reports that at one time when the sun was high in the sky, there was a sign that scholars call Virgo. A virgin was seen rising into the air who had never been touched by any bodily stain. This virgin was wholly beautiful of sight and carried a child in her arms, who seems to be the fairest child that ever was. And this child was called Jesus. There's a footnote on it that I can give you if you want.
1: Give me the bit that starts with Albumasar again.
0: Yes, Albumasar in his greater introduction.
1: Yeah, that's what I wanted to to grab on is what what that phrase was. Yes. Because that's an interesting name for something. Mhm. And I would encourage anyone currently writing a book to include a greater introduction and a lesser introduction. <laughs>
0: Absolutely.
1: However, Googling tells me that it's called an introduction because it's like a textbook. It's like introduction to astrology.
0: Yes. And also that Abu Masar
1: is a Muslim, so so it's a weird citation choice.
0: It's Abu Mashar al Balkhi. I'm getting wrong. Yeah, it I, I can't wrong. make that
1: H noise properly either.
0: Yeah. But this reference as an authority for the virgin birth, according to our footnote, occurs in several late medieval sermons and elsewhere, especially in the pseudo-Ovidian poem De Vetula. Never heard of it. Apparently it's in several other sermons, which I think was interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess that like at this time, like if you want information on astronomy, you're going to get it from Muslim texts because they're mm. the ones doing that work at the time. Absolutely. And I'm not versed in, like, the doctrine of Islam, even less so than I am in the doctrine of Christianity, but I do know that they ha- include Jesus as a prophet, so, like, maybe, m- maybe uh, Al-Bumasar really is very invested in talking about the Virgin Mary. I just find it very strange that, like, a, a Christian sermon, at the same time that they were, like, having crusades, would be, like— Let's use this Muslim Let's use source. this
0: text, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. There was a lot of overlap between Jewish, Muslim, and Hebrew history and tradition, however. So it makes a little bit of sense, but also at the same time, you're like, that's a bit odd to find in an English sermon. What were those three things? What three kinds of history? Oh, did I mix them up?
1: You said Jewish, Muslim, and Hebrew.
0: Oops, I meant Christian.
1: Okay. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask to you to elaborate on the difference between Jewish history and Hebrew history, if, if, if not.
0: As far as I know, or as far as it has been delineated to me, Hebrew history, Christian and Jewish history both include Hebrew history, mm. because that's sort of their same root. But more modern Jewish history after Christ is not included in Christian history and vice versa.
1: Gotcha. Okay, that is that
0: my sense. understanding. Yeah. Um, so anyway, back to the sermon. He basically insists that the Virgin Mary was so beautiful and pure that if any lecherous man looked at her, all the, all the lusts and sin like disappeared from his brain because it's like, wow, it's the Virgin Mary. She's so pretty and pure and virgin and she retained her virginity after giving birth. And I... I guess, through the rest of her life, which seems very strange to me, given that uh, Jesus had siblings and we know this.
1: Yeah, yeah. And also, like, it just doesn't make sense for her. to Like, she she is married. She has a husband. Yes. Like, why would they just decide, like, we're not going to consummate this?
0: I don't know. We know that Christ has siblings. So, but, you know, they they're giving Mary a lot of superpowers here, so...
1: Well, well, she is a robot. (laughs) She
0: She, is a robot.
1: (laughs) That's why. That's why. She can always just like swap out parts. So it's always, she can be a virgin again anytime she wants. And if people look at her lecherously, she can zap them with her laser eyes.
0: That brings up an interesting discourse on virginity that I don't think we have time to get into.
1: (laughs) No, no. I mean, TLDR, virginity is a dumb concept.
0: Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Particularly in Christian culture. I'm just going to put that out there. It's very, very toxic to young women. Extremely toxic. Anyway, here we go. A great scholar named Pliny, in his book 7 of his Natural Philosophy, reports that there were once two philosophers who took such delight in the beauty and fairness of the sun every day that they could see the sun from its rising to its setting while they stood to look at its beauty and clarity. Since there is no comparison between the clarity of the sun, which we can see here with our bodily eye, and the fairness and purity of God Almighty, who was born today, it seems to me that we are much to blame if for some lust or uncleanness of the body we should turn away from God, from whom the angels in the entire company of heaven desire and enjoy to look at for his beauty and purity. Okay.
1: Okay. I can get behind that analogy. That one kind of makes sense. That
0: one one makes more sense. Therefore, beloved, since Christ the Son of God was born in cleanness, as I have told you, as is the cause of his birth, was only to save us and be our savior, it seems to me that I can say, just as I did in the beginning, to those who were forlorn, a savior has been born. He's bringing a call back.
1: (laughs) I can only imagine that the cleanness didn't last very long since they were in a stable and presumably there was like animal droppings
0: everywhere. Yeah, it's... mm. So now we get on to our second point. So he's he's couched this, this first point about Christ being clean. And so now he's going to get into turning high into low. The son of God was born in meekness. And so he starts talking about original sin. So let's see if there's anything particularly interesting that I've highlighted here. There's a lot about the Blessed Virgin, which is very confusing to me.
1: Uh, Yeah. uh, Immaculate. That's all I got.
0: You know, (laughs) the Catholics love Mary. They love Mary.
1: I mean, the whole Immaculate Conception thing is actually an interesting idea that like in order to make this happen, first, there had to be a woman born without sin to carry God's child. Yeah, that's
0: it's a very fascinating idea. Philosophically.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like, I can see why you'd be really enthusiastic about that woman because she is free of sin. Like, that's pretty great.
0: Yeah. Boom. That
1: means she can cast the first stone.
0: If she wanted. Yeah. So basically his point here is like, oh, wow, the savior of the world and the Lord our God was born into a manger in a stable. He has humility from high to low, which is a point that is very, very commonly made in Christmas time sermons to this day. So mm-hmm. beloved, beloved, Christ showed us all this humility in order to destroy our pride and to give us an example to be humble and meek for his love. But I fear there are many in this world who do not follow Christ or act according to his teaching. And this is because they are so overcome by pride, they think of themselves so worthy and so noble that they want to be superior to everybody else besides them. If one were to talk to them about humility, to be gentle in their behavior towards their neighbors, their heart is so full and locked with pride, they are beside themselves, and they can't say anything but, FIE ON YOU, knave! WHY ARE YOU INTERFERING?
1: Wow, I can't imagine people like that today. Like... (laughs) running the society in which we live god that's such a that's such a weird concept it seems so divorced from our modern experience
0: (laughs) so anyway i could
1: actually totally see like elon musk or something saying "Fie on you knave
0: i mean he does have all his like weird little titles next thing we're gonna have like bezos (laughs) shouting "Fie on you
1: honestly i'm surprised they haven't already
0: you know so much Alrighty, let's see. Then he quotes uh, St. Augustine. Is it Augustine or Augustine? Because I've had different professors correct me in different ways.
1: I've always thought it was Augustine, but I have no idea.
0: Who knows? But anyway, we come back uh, eventually to his point, as he said in the beginning, to those who were forlorn. a savior has been born. And so now he's going into turning sorrow into joy. Christ was born in gladness. You must understand that God creates man in four different ways, as Anselm says in Book 2 of Why God Became Man.
1: Oh, man, you can really tell we're in medieval, like, religious scholarship <laughs> when it, and everything is like, and this is in three ways, and this is in four ways, and oh my none gosh, of it actually yes. makes any sense.
0: Yeah, we're just chucking stuff out there. Uh, let's see. Yeah, he's, he's talking about how God made man without man or woman, and then he made woman from man, and then he made man from woman without another man. And that was how Christ was born, so on and so forth. Uh, apparently, this is this brings joy. I don't Does quite. It? I, I'm not grabbing onto why in particular.
1: Um, I mean, it's a, it's a good list. It's, it makes sense. Like make man from nothing, Adam. Make woman from man, Eve. Make man from woman, Jesus. Make normal reproduction.
0: Oh, oh, I see. I see. Here's here's his point. Usually, in birth, a woman cries out in pain. But because, you know, it's Jesus, she doesn't have to cry out because there's no pain because it's a miracle birth. And so there's much joy in birth rather than pain.
1: I feel like I don't even need to say it this time.
0: (laughs) That Mary's a robot? Yes. I'll say it for you.
1: (sighs) But like a good robot, like Data.
0: Oh my gosh, I love Data. Anyway, (laughs) so he he makes this final point and exhorts his audience to follow these commandments to live purely so on and so forth to celebrate Christmas in a festive way rather than a lecherous way.
1: Can we do both?
0: Well, he's specifically warning them not to do it in a lecherous way because it's Christmas time and it's a Christian holiday.
1: I feel like it would be so much more fun to celebrate it in a way that is both festive and lecherous.
0: I'm sure that they did. And so, beloved, for the love of him who was born on this day for our salvation, make such joy that your souls come to a better state by it, and not a worse one. And then God will say to you what he said to his disciples in John 16. I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man shall take from you. This joy is the joy of heaven. May he lead us to this joy who lives and reigns without end. Amen. And that is the end of this sermon. So this is your Christmas sermon. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yes, or your, your Christmas Eve sermon. So now we'll get into the actual Christmas sermon, which is hilarious and fairly short.
1: So, But what about Christmas Adam, Zoe?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I guess... Oh, I know. Christmas Adam is Christ. Because we have Christmas Eve, and from Christmas Eve comes Christmas Adam, which is Christ, which is what we celebrate on Christmas.
1: That actually makes a lot more sense than I was expecting (laughs) from, like, a dumb, me quoting a dumb meme.
0: (laughs) Once I start reading these, I just get going. I could do it. (laughs) I could be a medieval preacher if, if I weren't a woman.
1: Honestly, I mean, I bet they were female medieval preachers. They probably just dressed in, like, drag.
0: Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm sure there were a lot of, like, little women's circles as well, you know. I when you had nuns, you had groups of nuns who would preach to each other. Well, I mean, technically they would have a priest come in on Sunday, but I'm sure they preached to each other. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: I would imagine that a lot of discussion in the convent is around exactly these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you would have made a great nun.
0: (laughs) I would, for all the reasons.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: All right, here's our Christmas sermon. This sermon appears in a preacher's notebook whose entries were written from the early to the late 15th century. These scribes copied sermons from different sources in random order, many with English phrases and verses. They include Thomas Wimbledon's famous sermon, Render an Account of Your Stewardship, in Latin. The Christmas sermon here, translated, was apparently copied in the very early 15th century. All right.
1: I immediately approve of any text that you can describe as in random order.
0: (laughs) Here we go. And that's about how this uh, sermon is organized. So... Sermon for the Nativity of Our Lord. Ah, 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 Jeremiah one six.
1: I'm sorry. What? A is that a Bible verse? And B, that's the Bible verse they picked.
0: <laughs> it is. <laughs> this is the Bible verse they picked. Let me confirm that it is a verse.
1: Yeah, I'm like, do I I'm sure I have? I have a couple of Bibles nearby. I don't know if either of them includes Jeremiah. Hold on a second.
0: So I've got mine.
1: What'd you say, 1 6?
0: Yes, 1 6. I've got mine, and it says, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. And that's the new King James Version, so let me just see what the, what the King, King James Version says.
1: Yeah, I've got the same one. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold I cannot speak, for I am a child.
0: Yep, that's the KJB.
1: Yeah, mine's mine's old. I inherited it from my grandfather.
0: Oh, that's so cool.
1: Yeah, which means it both has my name on it and doesn't have my name on it, because this is the other McGregor Boyle. <laughs> one of the other McGregor Boyles.
0: The many. The dynasty. Alright. Yeah, so Ah, 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 Jeremiah 1, 6.
1: Okay, does anyone else think that, like, he only remembered the one word (laughs) and then just had to roll with it? Like, he's like, okay, Jeremiah said ah, I don't remember what he said next. I don't remember. You know what? He said ah four times, and then he just had to commit to it.
0: Three times. Three. But yes. Three times. And I say three because it's going to be relevant. I think. All right.
1: I assume that uh, in in this context, or at least in whatever Bible this guy is reading, Jeremiah has just stubbed his toe.
0: (laughs) Well, let's find out. By way of introduction, we should notice that this word, ah, can be fittingly used as the thema of Christ's nativity for the three characteristics that are found in Christ. (laughs)
1: It's not even a word. It's like an exclamation. I mean, I guess it's technically in the dictionary, but... He's
0: referring to the letter A. He's referring to the Latin letter A. Okay. He, He goes on. Ah is a short and small word and christ as can be found in the doctors of the church was the smallest and shortest human being because while other humans do not have their souls infused from god until four months after their conception christ was a true human being from the first moment of his conception on and hence he was small and short according to the verse the lord has made a short word over the earth
1: all right i have a couple thoughts on that this
0: is why this was my favorite. There's so much just right off the bat. All right.
1: I want to take out of context that Christ was the smallest and shortest human being because I like the idea that God is Tom Thumb.
0: <laughs> it's the weirdest idea.
1: I, I also want to point out that this means the medieval church is pro-choice.
0: Yes. I thought that was very, very interesting yeah, as well. Yeah, because
1: apparently, according to them, fetuses don't have souls.
0: Only up to the four-month point. There's a four-month window. Who decided that? I and I why? don't know. Um, let's see. I don't know where that's coming from because the only footnote I have is about the verse. Which, alternatively, I double check this. The Lord made a short word over the earth. Uh, my version has the Lord made a short work over the earth. So I don't know what, what difference that infers. That? Romans nine twenty eight.
1: Let's check. Because, I mean, I feel like that could be because
0: like that can't that
1: can't be a typo in his version because those aren't the same in in Latin.
0: Mm -hmm. See, the interesting the interesting part there is that the beginning of John says at first there was the word and the word was God and the word was with God, which Mm -hmm. refers to Christ. Generally speaking, Christ is the word. So it's interesting that this version says the Lord made a short word over the earth because that's saying that that this is how Genesis was was done created etc right. what was the number again romans nine twenty-eight. 28
1: oh 28 yes mine also says a short work
0: yeah yeah interesting so maybe this was a typo on the part of the translator i'm not sure but there is a difference there
1: i don't know maybe, yeah maybe it's maybe it's a typo on the part of yeah whoever did the king james version
0: or just whoever did the sermon but anyway this is one reason he says because Ah is short and small, and Christ apparently is also short and small because he had a soul from the beginning as his conception. And, you know, regular humans don't until four months, apparently.
1: Okay, so, huh. I just looked up like a bunch of other, um, I I went to BibleGateway.com so I could see all the different translations. Yes. And it definitely seems like some of them say work and some of them say word, and some of them say sentence as in like judgment or execution.
0: Interesting. So I mean so, it's it's generally the same pawn notation, but what it specifically means is up for grabs.
1: Yeah. So he's doing something thoroughly and without delay. Something is happening quickly. Yes. And decisively. D-
0: yes. All right, shall we keep going?
1: Yes, please. Cuz it only gonna, gets better. Yeah, don't let me get bogged down. Just keep dragging me along.
0: All right. Further. Ah, marks the beginning in every language because every alphabet, whether Latin, Hebrew, or Greek, begins with A because apparently those are only the three those are the only three alphabets that exist. That's it.
1: They and they all begin with the same sound because they're all related to each other other alphabets definitely begin with different sounds i'm I'm just putting that out there (laughs) it's definitely true
0: i knew this would get you as a linguist
1: i I am out of spite going to like grab another alphabet at random and see what it starts with
0: i mean just grab the chinese characters that's not an
1: alphabet alphabet. that's a it's a, a logographic system I'm going to look at the old Hungarian alphabet. Let's go. Nope, starts with A. If this if it turns out they really all do, I'm gonna be so angry. (laughs) Agum starts with B. We win.
0: There we go. Okay, can does Agum count?
1: It's on the list.
0: Because its alphabet was originally just like lines though.
1: As long as it's um, symbols that each represent a phoneme, it's an alphabet.
0: All right. Anyway, in the same way that Christ is the beginning of creation, as he himself testifies in Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, Alpha in the Greek is same as A in Latin. This is the second reason. The third is that the letter A is the beginning of our salvation and redemption, as is shown in the angel's greeting in Luke 1, as Ave Maria. Which
1: I, I guess,
0: but this is presuming that the angel spoke Latin to Mary. Oh,
1: hey, yeah, which why would it
0: exactly? Especially if she is a Jew,
1: yeah, it would, yeah, it would yeah, be speaking Hebrew. I mean, she might understand Latin,
0: she might, but that I mean, it's it's a major, major question whether the angel said Ave.
1: Fair, but I don't know what's but remember, they're what's using the, the Vulgate. For Ave?
0: That's a good question. What is the Aramaic for Ave? Because that's probably what it was, because Christ. In are you looking for it?
1: Oh no, I'm still looking at alphabets.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, let me see what it is in Aramaic.
1: The Elder Futhark starts with F, by the way, which I should have known off the top of my A- head because that's where the name comes from. Because it's the Futhark is just the first few letters.
0: Oh, well, here we go. Here's the Ave Maria in Aramaic. So let's let's hear what it sounds like. Nope, it definitely does not start with A. All right. So anyway, thus it is clear for these reasons that Ah is the theme for the nativity so you can take that one home for christmas what (laughs) (laughs) this is why awe is the theme for nativity Sure. <laughs> but since in his nativity only three persons were present, as it is reported in the authoritative books, namely Mary, Christ, and Joseph, ah is taken as our thema three times. For further development, we should notice that ah is commonly spoken for three causes, for well-being, for woe, and for wondering. I guess. <laughs>
1: like, I guess that's ah, ah. ah. Aww?
0: Yes, exactly. It's like the video of like how to say wait what like a, biz- a bazillion times. You know, it's like mm. that. Um, but he does he does use this lovely little Middle English phrase for whele wo and wonder. Mm-hmm. So, That's good. There you go. For the chief part, I say firstly that Mary could say ah for her well being. Here we go. As we can see, a woman finds her joy and prosperity in four things. Her bloodline, her wealth, her beauty, and the fruit of her body.
1: Zoe, fact check?
0: <laughs> yeah, I definitely uh, value myself in uh, several other ways, but in, in the middle Why English... is
1: bloodline the first on the list? I'm not comfortable with that.
0: Because <laughs> that's how you get married off to a good family, is so you have to come from a good family.
1: I mean, you're not wrong, but still.
0: <laughs> it's still gross.
1: Yeah, I still don't like it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but uh, in the English, in great blood, in much good, in great beauty, and in fruit of body. Now, among all women, these four conditions are most truly found in the Blessed Virgin.
1: Really? She was more invested in her bloodline and her beauty than any other woman?
0: Apparently, yes, because Mary was descended from great blood, namely from many kings, as is shown in Christ's genealogy in Matthew 1. And on this part of her parentage, this genealogy in Matthew was there specifically to show to a Jewish audience that Mary did come from the line of David, which mm-hmm. was a requirement for the Savior. So the Messiah had to be born of line of David to fulfill prophecy, history, etc. So that, that's why that genealogy is there.
1: How long ago was David by then?
0: Oh, way late.
1: This is like how like everyone in Europe is descended from Charlemagne or something. Yeah. Like if you go back far enough.
0: Yeah, precisely. Exactly. So, you know, there's that. But also, you know, she gave birth to, to God. So that that's also how her bloodline apparently is uh, great.
1: I do like the phrase great blood, just without the context <laughs> of being a bloodline. Got great blood. Yeah, got great blood. (laughs)
0: Look
1: how red it is.
0: Then we get this wonderful phrase, which I've never, ever heard before. Further, the Blessed Virgin possessed a wealth of riches, for in this birth, that is the birth of Christ, she became Queen of Heaven, Lady of the World, and Empress of Hell.
1: Okay, I hope there's an explanation for that. A. B. Empress of Hell sounds badass, and there should be an Empress of Hell in your D&D
0: campaign. 100% and I think it would be hilarious if it was the Virgin Mary. (laughs) Just for kicks.
1: Does it explain at all why she's Empress of Hell?
0: The only thing it says after this is that so any sinner can say of her what it is written in the Book of Wisdom. Now all good things came to me together with her, that is the Blessed Virgin, and innumerable riches through her hands. I knew not that she was the mother of them all.
1: I have a lot of other questions about this title.
0: Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. But that is all like, we get.
1: Uh... What's, what's the balance of powers between her and Satan?
0: Right? Like, how does that even work? Why is she the Empress of Hell? Like, how did... Wait, what? I thought I thought there was that whole, like, Queen of Hell in Revelation, you know, and the prostitute lady.
1: The Whore of Babylon. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is she not also the Empress of Hell? Like, d- does she serve Mary? How does that work?
1: Maybe Hell's got, like, a complex oligarchic system. Oh. <laughs> um. Boy, yeah, and if Mary's Empress of Hell, wouldn't she have the power to like let people out of Hell? So right. she should do that, right? Because she's a good person,
0: yeah. You know, who knows? Who knows? But anyway, Da-da-da-da-da. Mary has blessed fruit, namely when she gave birth to Christ, her firstborn son, who is the most powerful, wise, and benign. So, plus that so just forth.
1: awesome, like robot hand, she had that one time. Oh, robot hand, yes, it's the robot hand. <sighs> but I, I was thinking literal fruit,
0: yeah, Ooh, definitely. This is proven by Aristotle in before of his physics. Everything in the middle must share in the parts of either extreme. Since the Blessed Virgin's Son is the person in the middle between the Father and Holy Spirit, and since the Father in his nature possesses power and the Holy Spirit benignity, it follows of necessity that the Son shares power with the Father in the benignity of the Holy Spirit. Which I think is very interesting because most biblical scholars nowadays emphasize the fact that all three persons in the Trinity are equal.
1: And also the same. Yes. Like, not just that they are equal in stature, but also they are literally the same entity.
0: Yes. So, I don't know how this one works, but...
1: Yeah. Why is he in the middle?
0: Yeah, I found that to be very interesting. I mean, chronologically through time, he's in the middle, but, like, God is outside of time, so... How does that one work?
1: I don't really understand what the Holy Spirit is, honestly, other than it's the thing that apparently makes you speak in tongues.
0: The Holy Spirit is supposed to be the advocate or the helper. It's, it's I guess, a part of your, you could refer to it as sort of like your conscience, but it's the divine part of your conscience. It's part of God that comes into the individual to guide the individual and to help the individual be a better Christian, essentially.
1: This sounds like we're all being possessed.
0: That is one way to put it, yes. Okay.
1: (laughs) If it works, it works.
0: (laughs) But anyway, here we go. Finally... The Blessed Virgin was the most beautiful of all women, for it is of her that Blessed John speaks in Revelation 12, when he says that, quote, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. But she was even more beautiful in her faith, blah, blah, blah. Now, what I find interesting here is that most Catholics do interpret this to be Mary. However, there most Protestants and some other Christian interpretations is that this verse, this sun moon woman is an interpretation of or a representation of israel because in joseph's dream in the old testament um it refers also to the 12 tribes of israel which is represented by the 12 stars and john says that this woman is a sign and not a literal figure so it could be mary it could also just be a sign or a representation of israel Plus, you get the bridegroom analogies of Christ and the bridegroom and Israel and so on and so forth. And Who knows who this woman is?
1: I have nothing to add.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Once you start really getting into this stuff, it's very, very complex. Uh, I apologize for those who do not have a background in, I guess, Christian theology, doctrine, thinking, etc. This is something that I find fascinating to pick apart. So I totally understand it. And if this is not your bag, uh, I think it's hilarious. I, I hope that you're at least enjoying these weird analogies. And statements like the fact that Christ is apparently just the shortest person who ever existed, which is just the weirdest thing.
1: That's still so strange. And I I do like that it's basically saying, like, he's technically the shortest person who ever existed because everyone who was shorter than him wasn't a person.
0: (laughs) It's really weird. Why would that make him shorter?
1: He was the youngest person to ever exist.
0: I guess. Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, this... uh... This preacher goes on to say that John the Evangelist, at one point, says that he prayed so that the Virgin, like the Virgin Mary, would be revealed to him, and he like sees her, and so many rays of light came from her that, overcome by the extreme brightness, his eyes failed him, and he could not stay. Then, when his powers had somewhat returned, he said that unless the faith of the church had held him firm, he would have thought there was no other God but her.
1: See, this is what I was saying about laser eyes. <laughs>
0: As we reflect on these things, Mary, the mother of God, could quite rightly say, ah, for her well-being. And this has been our first chief topic.
1: There's more that we can get (laughs) out of ah, ah, ah?
0: Well, we have two more ahs. Of course. Of course. (laughs) Doesn't the logic just flow before you so effortlessly? Wouldn't you, sitting in a medieval pew, just want to understand and follow along what these next two ahs are?
1: I feel like this sermon was written on a dare.
0: (laughs) It might have been. I mean, it was cataloged in random order. In the second place, I could say Christ could say "ah" for "woe." This can be shown in three ways. <laughs> so we've got another Here's list. You can. <laughs> when he was born, apparently, although he was the son of the Most High, he was not wrapped in purple and fine linen, nor he nor was he placed in a manor house or a castle.
1: I'm sorry, so did he say ah? It was. Are we saying that the infant Christ was a diva about, like, his <laughs> dressing room? And, like, he was saying ah in woe because he wasn't in a castle and didn't have purple?
0: He did not have fire or a midwife, nor any of the other things that were necessary for such childbirth. But he fire? suffered fire, yeah, like, to stay warm, because he's in a... Oh. <laughs>
1: I was like, clearly I have misunderstood something about the childbirth process. Where does the fire come in?
0: It's part of the ritualistic thing that we do. You wouldn't know about it, Mac.
1: Yes, of course. I've been excluded from those mysteries by reason of my birth.
0: (laughs) No, he suffered great pain from nakedness and lack of any help. Hence, such a great lord in such need could rightly say, ah, for the woe that he suffered in the beginning.
1: I'm sorry, I thought that he did not suffer woe. Our last person just said that he was born without suffering.
0: No, that was Mary. Oh. Mary didn't suffer. But, you know, the Son of God becomes man. That's, that's kind of a shock to the system. I guess. Wasn't it part of
1: medieval doctrine, though, that Christ couldn't suffer?
0: Oh, no, it's very much... Part of Christian doctrine oh. that Christ suffered, like that was the whole thing about Satan tempting him, is that he did suffer. Oh,
1: okay. Christ so, suffered for mm, our sake. See, I thought that was a more modern development, but again, I'm not up on my doctrine, mostly because it's not my doctrine.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I'm sure it was a heresy um, that that popped up, but it's it's not doctrine. Anyway, likewise, he suffered many blows at the time of his passion, and also in his death he sustained much suffering and pain, because he was accused falsely, against reason, and condemned with shouts. All his enemies were his judges. All his friends abandoned him, and he fled, all but the Blessed Virgin and John the Evangelist, whom he saw weeping in great pain for him. Which I did actually double-check. John was the only disciple, according to the Bible, that did not leave the cross.
1: So the other eleven were just fair-weather friends?
0: I mean, they do make a point of Peter. Like, Christ does make a point of telling Peter he's going to deny him yeah. three times. So,
1: Yeah, but what about uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke? How'd they have the stones to write a whole gospel after just bailing on him once things got rough?
0: <laughs> well, Christ did come back. Fair. <laughs> anyway, because of all the suffering, he could well say, ah, for woe. And this has been my second principal part.
1: I mean, he's not wrong, <laughs> but it's also...
0: Bet you never thought you were going to get a sermon that was simply based on the letter A. I did not. It's a sound. I did not think I would get that. We're getting getting a sound-based sermon.
1: I am absolutely going to recommend this to my priest friend and see if I can convince her to write a sermon based on ah, ah, ah.
0: You absolutely should. You should give her this as a basis.
1: I will send her the link once we put it up.
0: Oh, it's great. It's so funny. In the third and last place I say that in this childbirth Joseph could say ah for wonder. This can be demonstrated many ways. First, Mary was his wife and yet gave birth without having slept with him. Second, he saw her give birth without pain. Third, he who was God and man wanted to subject himself to Joseph and obey him. Fourth, in this birth, Joseph saw the first and last when God became man. For among all things, man was created last. He also saw the bread grow hungry, for Christ was the living bread that came down from heaven. Yet when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. What? It's presuming that Joseph, his, his surrogate father, was also there when Jesus went without food for 40 days in the desert when the devil tempted him. Which is oh, okay. incorrect because he was alone. But apparently Joseph said ah upon hearing about it and that's how it all, you know, makes sense. I'm
1: sure. Oh, stepfather. Do you think Jesus ever told Joseph you're not my real dad? Like when he was an angsty teenage godling?
0: I mean, why not?
1: You have to assume.
0: Yeah. But then like at the same time your your real dad is also watching you the whole time. Yeah. So
1: I guess I can see why they skipped over that part of his life in the Bible.
0: There, there is one bit that I absolutely love where Jesus like goes skiving off from his chores with his mom and dad in the market and goes to the chief priests and everybody and just like totally owns them in a debate. And his parents are like, where's my son? Where's my kid? Where's the savior of the universe? He disappeared on me. And then they eventually find him there. Te- like schooling everybody else and they're like what is wrong with you and i do i do really like that story because it, it does show that christ was a teenager
1: yeah yeah i was thinking like i mean i guess good on you for having like good debating skills but also that's that's a little cringy
0: it totally is also like tell your parents where you're going Jeez.
1: okay if your child is literally god and they like wander off. Do you worry about them or do you just assume they're doing God things and they'll be fine? Like they're immortal, right?
0: Well, that's that's one of the big questions. Is like, when did his sense of godness come into being? Like, when did Jesus realize that he was God? When did that consciousness hit him? Like, was he born fully conscious and knowing? Yeah, it's, it's one of those weird questions that people have been debating for a long time.
1: Did Mary and Joseph have to sit him down and give him like a special version of the talk?
0: Can you imagine? <laughs> I feel bad for his siblings, man.
1: Oh yeah, that must have been a nightmare.
0: Right?
1: Oh. Like sibling rivalry, but your sibling is again literally God. That's rough. This all sounds like a very like difficult household.
0: It really really does. So anyway, and thus finally, Joseph saw a wondrous move, namely from heaven to earth when God descended, a wondrous setting when God was clothed in humankind, and a wondrous knitting together when virginity was joined to motherhood. <laughs> in thinking of these things, Joseph could indeed say, ah, in wonder.
1: Yes. Okay. Is this a vision
0: he's having? I think he's just like pondering about it. It's mm. like, ah, damn. That really do be wild, though.
1: i can't argue with that that's (laughs) that's an accurate summation of that thing you just read
0: and thus through christ's nativity all our wonder and all our woe has turned into well-being and bliss also namely our eternal joy may jesus christ bring us to that joy amen
1: and so if you really want to properly (laughs) celebrate christmas just like scream wordlessly three times
0: It's the ultimate symbolism that you never knew about. Instead of hanging up Noel signs, just ah ah ah. That's what I want. No more none none of this live, laugh, love.
1: Yeah. Just ah ah ah. ah just ah, screaming. Ah. <laughs> uh definitely do it at whatever like candlelight service you go to. One hundred. Definitely go for volume, like really from the diaphragm. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. So there you go. Some Christmas sermons for your perusal. This is how real, actual priests thought about and then delivered sermons in the medieval world.
1: I'm amazed that this religion is still around. Because I feel like if that's how it was going 500 years ago, why didn't people just go like, what did you just say? I'm done here. That's
0: really weird. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess all the burning of heretics probably helped keep it going.
0: Well, see, that's, that's the fascinating thing is that you have Christianity as an institution of power. And then you have these sermons, which were given in like the English Midlands at your local parish. And you get these weird things where it's like, oh, yeah, of course, Christ was the shortest person because he had a soul and you didn't have a soul until you were four months old. What do you do with that information as a as a medieval 20-something? For me, it helps me understand, like, oh, this is why so many of the herbal books talk about certain plants as being abortive in nature. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you, you did have a window for that sort of thing. Yeah. A perfectly legitimate window. I want to go through the rest of these sermons because I only covered those three right uh, but if i find any other really just side splitting ones then i'll i'll bring them back up because i think especially that christmas one is just wild because i can't believe he made a sermon based off of ah ah ah. seriously it's the greatest little trick it's so fun
1: did i i'm, I'm going back to bible gateway i want to see if there's a if there really is a version that's just ah, ah, ah. what is that <laughs> jeremiah 1 6
0: yeah yeah like which which how did he find this copy like where is he getting this from and also, for the record, there wouldn't be really a way for his congregation to double check him because it wasn't very common to have, you know, Bibles in your home or even be able to read them in the first place.
1: All right. So according to Bible Gateway, I have no idea, like the scholarship behind this.
0: They're they're pretty accurate for various versions.
1: The Wycliffe Bible, which would be the one that was available in uh, late medieval England, does have three ahs. Oh, it does. But that's not the whole verse.
0: Oh no, he's just using a part of it.
1: All the others just have one ah, uh, but White Clip apparently has three.
0: That is so interesting.
1: Some of them don't even have one ah, uh, actually.
0: Some of them have a lass.
1: What is this one? What is this? They're all in abbreviations. So I'm like, what is, what the f*** is this verse?
0: <laughs> Which one is it?
1: The Message. I guess oh. this is one of the ones that's trying to appeal to teens. Because... <laughs> Apparently, according to it, this verse is, but I said, hold it, Master God. Look at me. I don't know anything. I'm only a boy.
0: Uh, yeah, the uh, the message was meant to be like basically a paraphrased, easy to understand version that is widely mocked.
1: Ah, uh, okay.
0: <laughs> but hold it, Master God, dude. <laughs> Chill out, broski.
1: Apparently the Christian standard Bible has instead of ah, uh, oh no. <laughs>
0: Oh, these are fun. This is why translation matters, you guys.
1: And the International Children's Bible has But Lord God. No, there's no uh, exclamation at all.
0: Ah, that would be too dramatic.
1: Children's Bible must be sedate. Can't have those kids getting all hyped up on religion. <laughs> all right. I've, I've got to put this away.
0: <laughs> all right. Let's, you, you want to go through our segments? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we should. <laughs> all right. So... What say you?
1: Best dialogue. Is this applicable? Do we actually have dialogue or is it just a narration?
0: I mean, the whole thing is dialogue. This is a yeah, sermon. Yeah,
1: it is. That's a good point. God, that's tough. That's a tough...
0: There's just so much weird stuff.
1: I mean, I almost want to say that the best dialogue is, ah, 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 Jeremiah 1-6. <laughs>
0: I mean, I think you're pretty much right. Like, there's that. Because I can just oh, no.
1: imagine, like, everyone, the, everyone in the audience, like, turning slowly to look at me. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's our text? That's the text for this sermon? Are you high?
0: <laughs> oh, I would love for a, a modern pastor to try and do this this sermon. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, that's a really good one. I think it's either that or... Ah is a short and small word, and Christ, as can be found in the doctors of the church, was the smallest and shortest human being. (laughs) (laughs) That is excellent, yes. But the sentence goes on. Because while other humans do not have their souls infused from God until four months after their conception, Christ was a true human being from the first moment of his conception on, and hence he was short and small.
1: (laughs) Wait, what was the one in the Advent Sermon about, like, the ass being the gateway to the soul or something?
0: <laughs> Let me find it. <laughs> oh, gosh. The ass indicates the soul. That's also really good. That's Oh, that's great.
1: I am putting that on my list of things to cross-stitch.
0: <laughs> well, we don't really have a best ass, so we'll skip that one. There's no critters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, it just—it just suddenly struck me that like those youth pastors would probably be annoyed that we're not saying like obviously the best death was Jesus on the cross
0: because <laughs> he you saved your souls, a. Eh? Oh.
1: But yeah, no critters other than soulless fetuses.
0: Oh, mm, that's a strange image
1: coming to a necromancer near you.
0: Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Grant Gomez.
0: all right what should we adapt for a D game
1: the empress of hell
0: <laughs> as mary herself i think yes. oh my gosh and the
1: various balances of power between
0: <sighs>
1: all these other rulers of hell
0: oh my gosh Okay, I think you can you can come up with a pastor who's going off like a local priest who's just like ah ah ah, and it's like what are you talking about, my dude? And he's got this little speech prepared. You could definitely go with that. A
1: holiday you celebrate by screaming.
0: Ooh, there you go.
1: Three times you have to do it three times,
0: and that's it. You could use the the ring in the dirt analogy. You're, that's a really good like street preacher analogy.
1: It's true. It's definitely an analogy. <laughs>
0: I mean, to be honest, there's not too much here unless you want to go with something incredibly like you know heretical or strange. yeah, this text is more a curiosity than anything that you can actually really use, which is fine.
1: yeah, it's hard to gamify this one
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: all right um
0: how many ages hence shall this our lofty scene be acted over? I don't in think anyone's referring an to,
1: to to this in future things. I mean, like it has a lot in common with current sermons, with but that's sermons. just because that's just because they're still sermons. Like, that's do we need to bring that up?
0: I I will like, sermons say sermons are still sermons. Well, sermons are still sermons, and we can see both forms of sermon, both homiletic and the more academic style today. And I think it's interesting that they are mostly split between Catholicism and Protestantism. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very very interesting dynamic that's split. That we see unified here.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: Um, I don't think there's an a, a party that we can create here, except for the fact that you could you could have a really weird priest or patron or warlock. I don't know.
1: Rival adventuring party based on the four apostles. Oh my
0: gosh.
1: But like don't make it up. Well, except
0: you've got you've got one guy who's like the head dude's favorite.
1: <laughs> yes, that's right. He's the disciple that that yes. God loves.
0: Like, guys, uh, I know that I am. And don't forget, like Peter legit cut a guy's ear off. Like Peter's definitely a fighter. Did he? And, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then in Gethsemane. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then Jesus, you know, put it back on. And then
1: that part I don't remember.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure he did. And then Luke was a doctor, so we've already got a cleric.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then there's Matthew. What did Matthew do? Matthew can be the the wizard.
1: All I can think of is that because of the weird way that the various evangelists' symbols play out, a lot of medieval texts refer to him as Matthew the Man.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Because
1: like the symbols are like a, a, a an ox, a lion, lion, a, a, eagle, an eagle, and mm-hmm. a man, and a yeah. man. One of those might be wrong.
0: No, I think you're right.
1: Yeah, but Matthew just got stuck with like yeah, his symbols a man, so they just call him Matthew the Man.
0: He's a dude. Yeah. Just a certified dude.
1: He's bro all the way down. Just (laughs) onion-like layers of bro upon dude upon bro upon dude.
0: Gotta love it. All right.
1: But yeah, rival adventuring party. Make them like obnoxiously holier than thou.
0: Oh, 100%. That's hilarious. And or also fishers.
1: Yes. Fishermen.
0: I'll make you fishers of men.
1: Maybe you could have them take that dangerously literally. (laughs)
0: That would be interesting. Uh, (laughs) Street smart! Aside from if you really want, like, a show-stopping, attention-grabbing sermon, you can always just start it by screaming "Ah, ah, ah-ah-ah at your audience.
1: Yep, yep. Um,
0: Please use language that your audience can understand, mm -hmm. I think is a good one.
1: If you drop things, pick them back up. Even if they're in the dirt.
0: Indeed, yes. Just like God did for his ring, a.k.a. His children. Mm. Mm -hmm. Gonna leave that one there. Yeah.
1: Best moment. (laughs) I think that one's ah, 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 Jeremiah (laughs) 1-6. Yeah,
0: definitely. Definitely. Best dialogue is the ass indicates the soul. And best moment is ah, 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 Jeremiah 1-6. Now I'm going (laughs) to preach an entire sermon about ah, ah, ah. And it's going to make sense. Is it, though? I mean, his logic, his logic followed. It just had really shit premises. Fair. <laughs> it was well-ordered. It's like one of those undergrad essays that you get, and you're like, I understand what you were going for, and you followed the rubric, but none of this makes sense.
1: Frankly, all, all of the, like, serious biblical exegesis where they, like, dissect a single passage in like multiple symbolic ways all sounds like a bad undergrad essay to me that's it's always so what it bad. reminds me of
0: oh don't take your exegesis this far people that's another one just don't do it all right
1: final rating oh crap i go first don't i
0: yes you do
1: i'm gonna give it a six because i feel like It's not great, but it's bad in a funny way and an interesting way. Mm -hmm, Definitely. I don't think the writing's good. I don't want to reward (laughs) this, but I did enjoy hearing about it.
0: Fair, fair. I'm going to give it a seven simply because having grown up in the church, I can recognize some of the things that they're doing here. And having, I guess, had an education, had a biblical education In some of this history, it's really, really funny to me to see how the pastors that I grew up with are wrong about their perceptions of medieval Christianity. And I love seeing that. And so for me, this is absolutely hilarious. So I'll give it a seven.
1: Welcome to the Leech's Corner.
0: All right. So this is Hildegard von Bingen's Physica. And I think you know more about Hildegard than I do.
1: Um... I only know a little bit. Hildegard von Bingen, not to be confused with Hildegard von Blingen, which is a YouTube channel you should all look up. Definitely. Was a abbess, I want to say, in in Central Europe, in the, mm-hmm. in the medieval era.
0: Germany, I think. Or, well, what was to become Germany?
1: That That's why I stopped and revised to Central Europe. Because I'm like, I think it was in modern Germany, but like...
0: Abbess of the yeah. Rhineland.
1: There you go. And she's best known for writing a lot of really interesting things about herbs and medicine and beer and uh, all of that stuff.
0: I thought she was best known for her music.
1: Oh, I know her best for her herbs (laughs) and her brewing
0: like she, she composed her own music.
1: I, I'm aware that she did music because my all of my immediate family are musicians and I have heard them mention her in that context. I'm sure that's how they best know her. I know her because herbs and brewing.
0: We did a little bit on her in one of my classes and she basically revolutionized how chant was done in the church. And there was a lot of controversy about like, was she supposed to, as a woman, write music? Could she could she actually do it? And she was very convinced uh, or convicted that she shouldn't unless or until she got the pope's permission, because she wanted it to be okay by God, which is, you know, as far as you're going to go, you know, getting it from the pope is pretty good.
1: Oh, she also got visions, and there's a fantastic image, uh, like a medieval, I don't know what the word is. There's a piece of medieval art depicting her getting a vision, and I am finding a copy.
0: Is it the one where she looks like she's getting eaten by Cthulhu?
1: Yes! (laughs) You've seen it.
0: Yes, it's like a mind flayer, like, grabbing at her face.
1: Yeah, it's amazing.
0: It's wonderful.
1: But yeah, that... that, Yeah, it's it's a picture of her getting a vision and, like, writing it down, but it looks like she was, like, doing scribe work, but Cthulhu was hiding in the roof and, like,
0: her. like ambushed yeah. her.
1: Because <laughs> there are, like, these tentacles coming down from the ceiling and just grabbing around her head. It's
0: very, very funny. It's very interesting. Very good.
1: Very good. Uh, but yeah, Abbas wrote a lot of things, had visions, did music, and... What's relevant here is that some of the stuff she wrote on was medical Mm -hmm. and scientific.
0: And what I have right now is her Physica, which sort of, it's less about cures and it's more about the different properties of different things. So there are nine books that go over different parts of the earth. The first one is plants. And then we have elements, trees, stones, fish, birds, animals, reptiles, and metals. So which category should I jump into?
1: Um, ooh, ooh, okay. Okay. I do have a thought, okay, but I also want to drop one other piece of information about this, which is why, which is why I think about her the way I do. The Physica is the first recorded reference of brewing beer with hops.
0: Oh, that's right. That's interesting.
1: Also, I totally want to hear about reptiles. Tell me about reptiles.
0: Okay, reptiles. I was I was trying to see if I could find beaver in the fish department because that is they, a good question. Yeah, she doesn't have it in her fish, but apparently they would be able to eat fever on like lent because it was technically a fish yeah all right i've heard that reptiles oh well okay the first one is dragon so shall i do dragon or shall i go to something slightly more well known
1: no we absolutely need to hear about dragons
0: okay here we go well she does have an introduction to the whole thing Oh. So I'll read the introduction, then I'll read dragons. Okay. In the beginning, every creature God made was good. Then, by means of the serpent, the devil deceived the human being so that he was thrown out of paradise. After that, in revenge, creatures testing divine will were made worse with humans. Whence seeds of cruel and poisonous vermin rose up from this for this revenge, revealing infernal punishments with their death bearing cruelty, striking hellish terror in people, with divine permission from the vermin Oh with divine permission the vermin used their poison to kill. Before the fall of man, they had in them not deadly but delectable liquid. Also, when the earth was corrupted with the spilling of Abel's blood, a new fire blazed in the underworld. Murderers were punished in it, and soon by divine will a certain cloud bubbling out of the underworld stretched over the earth and infused the the earth with a very bad humor. The worst poisonous, deadly worms bubbled out repeatedly from that soil so that the people's flesh might be punished by them since one human killed another.
1: I have a number of thoughts. Yes, go. One, what did the animals do to deserve this? It's not their fault.
0: Well, it was the snake.
1: That's an animal. Like... It's the devil. Like, what about all the other species? Two, did God make them bad just like...
0: I don't necessarily think they're bad. They're just used to terrorize people.
1: Right? No, I mean, like, did did God dis- decide as part of the fall, like, also I'm going to tell these animals to fuck you up, or did he just like let <laughs> Satan do things? <laughs> I mean,
0: it says with divine permission. Yes. So I Thank. would presume the Lord hath granted this.
1: Also. I know this was like a misstep and normally I'd just edit it out and not draw attention to it but I oh no. did love the phrase divine permission from vermin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be.
1: <laughs> That's very D&D
0: It's your new your new warlock patron is actually just a giant rat. It's the the, the rat king from the nutcracker.
1: Yes, yes. He's the the ur rat from which all rats spring. Indeed. Who manifests as a rat king and gives Ugh. you
0: I also want to know what kind of delectable liquid like the venom in snakes was before it was poison. Like is this the kind of ambrosia that Zeus is drinking?
1: Okay, if a snake bites you and injects you full of I don't know what's what's a tasty liquid. Um injects you full of Dr Pepper. Uh-huh. Like that's still not good for you. No. Like you don't get to enjoy it.
0: No, that's true. I don't know that I don't know that they would bite people if if they weren't
1: how are they extracting oh. this delectable liquid to find it's delectable?
0: I mean you can like squeeze the little snake mouth and get the venom out of it. They like they do harvest it.
1: Oh, that's alright, fair.
0: But dude, <laughs> I just feel like that's mean to the snakes. Yeah. I don't I hope it's not. Yeah,
1: I don't I don't like this idea of like all these animals wandering around with like, I don't know, heads full of Guinness or something just waiting <laughs> to be milked.
0: Oh, yeah, it's a weird idea. Okay, let me finish the introduction. Uh, when human beings were later wiped out in a flood of waters in divine vengeance, these vermin, unable to live in water, were suffocated by it. The flood scattered their cadavers all over the earth, and when the flood subsided, these cadavers, full of poison, putrefied. From their putrefaction, other worms of the same kind were born and were spread throughout the world. Certain vermin kill people or animals with their poisons. Others kill only humans. Vermin that are a bit like diabolic arts in their nature kill other humans as well as animals, with their poisons. Those that do not imitate diabolic arts have in them poisons which are a bit weak. Through their poisons, they bring to humans many diseases and dangers along with death, but they are unable to kill other animals.
1: I like the idea that what makes some venoms more venomous than other venoms is Satan. Like, the secret ingredient is Satan.
0: <laughs> I think this can definitely be incorporated into d d Yeah. 100%. I feel like it
1: kind of already is. Like if you just have like a fiendish viper as opposed to a normal viper.
0: True, but I feel like you could use it to your advantage in Mythos.
1: Yes, yes. You could definitely do a lot more with the idea than is currently done in like the standard D&D cosmology.
0: Definitely. Okay, shall I read the dragon? Yes. All right.
1: Wait, chromatic or metallic?
0: This does not specify. Oh, but that's important. Okay, but there are a lot of different kinds of dragons. She lists dragons, and then the next one is a certain serpent. And then later, there's the basilisk, then the viper. Like, there's a bunch of different ones here. All right. Yeah. So let's let's just see what she has to say. Okay. The The dragon, Draco, has a dryness, alien heat, and a certain fiery imbalance to it. But its flesh is not fiery inside. Good to know. Its breath is so strong and sharp that it immediately ignites when it comes out, just as fire does when it is lured from a stone.
1: Oh, hey! This is a fire-breathing dragon! Yeah! Yeah, you don't always see that. Sometimes they are just they just spit venom, so that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, this one's really cool. Well, I think with viper we're going to get venom, but dragon has fl- flames. Yeah. It has a strong hatred for human beings, and according to its nature, has diabolic arts in it. Sometimes when it sends out its breath, airy spirits from this breath stir up the air. Everything in its flesh and bones is harmful for human medicine, except it's fat. When the dragon sends out its breath, its blood is dried up and not fluid. When its breath is within it, its blood is moist and flows whence there is not even any medicine found in its blood. A person who has a stone in him, I'm presuming like a kidney stone or something, should take some dragon blood and, okay, so take some dragon blood and put it in a damp place so that it gets a bit moist, because we've just stated that it gets very dry. Mm -hmm. He should then place the blood in pure water for a short time until the water takes some heat from it. Having removed the blood, he should drink a moderate amount of that water on an empty stomach. He should soon eat some food. He should do this when the blood, with the blood and water for nine days, and the stone in him will be broken up by the strength of the blood, and he will be liberated. No one should eat or drink any of this blood pure and simple. If anyone were to do this, he would immediately die.
1: Good note. Gotta dilute it.
0: Gotta dilute it. I just want to know, is like, are, are you finding like flakes of dragon blood
1: yeah i was trying to figure out like letting it get a bit moist like is it so is it are we not meant to be imagining a liquid
0: no it's not a liquid because she says like when it's out of the body it's dry
1: yeah so it's it's just like
0: in the body it's wet
1: yeah flakes i guess
0: i i had no idea that dragon blood came in flakes i've been shopping for this all wrong
1: I feel like you have more problems than just that in your shopping expedition for dragon's (laughs) blood, but that's definitely step one. You should be looking in the spices aisle or something when it comes in a little shaker.
0: That's amazing.
1: So we now know that she's referring to a red dragon. Yes. Because it's evil and breathes fire. Correct. Correct. And I like the idea of there being spirits of the air guiding the fire. I think that's pretty cool. That's That's definitely something to include in your game.
0: Oh, 100%.
1: Like little elemental servants who let the dragon breathe fire around corners or something.
0: Oh, that would be... That's bad. That's devious. Like a dragon on its own, like an adult red dragon is a big enough foe on its own. But if you have spirits, ooh.
1: I mean... Facing an adult dragon should always be like a potential TPK for sure. So, because I mean, they're 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 intelligent creatures. They have like layers and stuff. Presumably, they're prepared. I don't think it would be going out of the ordinary to say like, yeah, this one has like some uh, summoned elemental spirits that help its breath weapon uh, be more flexible in where it goes.
0: Yeah, definitely legendary action.
1: I assume that's a fifth edition thing.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. It's something that you can only do like like three times in a day or something so that you don't go mm-hmm. like too OP. Uh, I see. Yeah. I want to know what you can do with its fat. Like everything in its flesh and bones is harmful for human medicine, except it's fat. But she doesn't tell us what you can do with its fat. Can you like, can you make like some supreme bacon by frying it in dragon fat? Like, how does this work? What do you do with dragon fat?
1: What do you do with regular fat?
0: I mean, it's lard, right? So you can cook stuff in it. You can use it like butter.
1: Can you make soap out of
0: it? Ooh, I bet you could. Dragon soap. Dragon blood soap. Somebody needs to start an Etsy page (laughs) right now. (laughs) And then you can put like little dragon blood flakes on top. Well, I guess you shouldn't because that would be too strong and you could die.
1: Oh, you could just use red pepper and say it's dragon blood. No one's going to tell the difference. Yeah, that's
0: fair. That's amazing. Yep, so there you go. How to use dragon blood, presuming you can get a hold of it.
1: Yeah, I like that she has all these cautions about like, and this is how you use it. Make sure not to take it pure and like prepare it like this. And at no point does she say like, where you find a dragon.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like how are you supposed to find a dragon? Hmm. Where is this located? (laughs) Okay, I I now want Hildegard to be an NPC.
1: Yes, absolutely. She would be an incredible NPC. NPC.
0: All right. Well, I think that's all we have.
1: There is one correspondence thing I wanted to mention. It was a Twitter reply I got.
0: Park, a messenger.
1: Someone posted this as a Twitter reply on our post about the latest Perlis Fouse episode. And I think it's a really interesting thought. And so I wanted to share it. Yeah. The problem is that I'm going to have to figure out how to pronounce this twitter handle i'm not go- i'm not going to try and pronounce it because i'm going to do it wrong but it's spelled k-h-o-r-e-u-t-e-e-s all right and they say on emperor Evelus, i wonder if that could be a corruption of julius if it started from i-v-l-i-v-s could the initial I- i-v be misunderstood slash transmitted as an e-v sound rather than j-u i have no explanation for the a in the middle though and no idea how plausible this is And this actually kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm, Um, Definitely. So for those of you who don't know, J and U are more recently added letters to the Latin alphabet. So Julius, as in Julius Caesar, would be written with I instead of J and V instead of U. So it would look kind of like lives. Yeah, it would. (laughs) Yeah, and if you just flip the L and the I in the middle and then have a couple vowel mutations you would get evelus.
0: Yeah, that's true. It, it makes a lot of sense, especially once things have been translated over and over and over again and transliterated and then yeah,
1: scribal error happens. All the time. Swapping letters, getting letters wrong, it happens. On the other hand, when I saw this, I went and checked the Evans translation to see how he rendered it, and according to him, the emperor who is named is Enax. So that's <laughs> Enax? E N A X. So <laughs> That's a hell of that, a name. That just raises more questions and now I I feel like we'd need to like see the original to try and figure this out.
0: Definitely. Totally lost.
1: I am kind of leaning towards it being a reference to Septimius Severus because you know Severus Evelus, and also one of the like names Severus had cuz all the Roman emperors had like seven names in a row. We just shorten them. Yeah. Uh was Pertinax.
0: Ooh, that's a good we, one.
1: Yeah. Which he took from a previous emperor who had right. been deposed. There was an Emperor Pertinax, and then I think there was one in between, and then there was Severus, and he was called. Let me pull him up real quick. Septimius Severus's full name is Imperator Caesar Lucius Septimius Severus Pertinax Augustus.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, and, like, all of this is stuff that he, like, adds as emperor, because that's how they did. But he was also a uh, 2nd century emperor, like, late 2nd century, early 3rd century, so he's still outside of the realm of the text claimed to be from Josephus, but, yeah.
0: But, of course, everything is at this point. Yeah. Oh, man.
1: So, I mentioned the Enax thing, and our uh, Twitter interlocutor suggested that it may just be all a metaphor.
0: That could always be. Indeed.
1: I wanted to share those thoughts about this Emperor's name, and again, if anyone has other ideas about what it could possibly be, or (laughs) can get a look at the original, do let us know.
0: Yes, I would love to know where this comes from. Oh, man. All right. And with that, I think we have wrapped up our final episode of 2021. thank you for listening to The Maniculum. Please consider leaving a rating and review in Apple Podcasts to help support the project. For more geeky editions or to see our sources and notes, check out our blog, Marginalia, at themaniculumpodcast.com. You can also join our Facebook group, the Maniculum Podcast, to join in on discussions about all things medieval. And feel free to reach out. We're on Twitter at Maniculum and on Instagram at Maniculum Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And special thanks to Sandra Boyle, who created the music for our show. You can check out her project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify. Is that she had a very painless, wonderful childbirth, and it was more like an ecstasy than anything else.
1: You know, I have heard that some... No, I'm not going to go there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All right.